0: Stephen Harper, uh, of course, hasn't been prime minister since uh, going back to 2015 now. It's about seven years since he's been out of office, and in that time, he's been pretty quiet. We haven't heard a lot from him. Uh, There's been two previous uh, conservative leadership campaigns. He sat out both of them, didn't get involved, didn't endorse anybody, but not this time. We're in the midst of the latest um, conservative leadership campaign, and he's jumped in off the sidelines with this tweet, or at least uh, here's part of it, that he tweeted out earlier this week. Pierre Poilievre was a strong minister in my government. In the past several years, he's been our party's most vocal and effective critic of the Trudeau Liberals. He's been talking about the issues, especially the economic issues, that matter. Slow growth, debt, inflation, lack of job and housing opportunities, and the need to fix the institutions that are failing Canadian families. He's proposing answers rooted in sound conservative ideas, but ones adapted for today's realities. That's why he has the strong support of our caucus and our existing membership, and why he is bringing the most new members and a new generation into our party. That's how we win the next federal election. And in my opinion, Pierre has made by far the strongest case that he is the person to do that. Pretty full-throated endorsement. How big of a deal is that? How much of a difference does it make? By all accounts, Polyev is the frontrunner already anyway. We're going to chat now with Melissa Cowett, who is a Western Canadian public policy professional and the principal at MC Consulting. Uh, Melissa, thank you for joining us again. Always appreciate your time. Good morning, Shay. Thanks so much for having me. So this endorsement from Stephen Harper, um, first of all, he hasn't done one in the prior two leadership uh, campaigns. Why do you think he decided to jump in now, and how big of a deal is that?
1: Well, a typical rule of thumb is that former politicians, and especially former politicians of Stephen Harper's stature, you really don't have much to gain by yeah. jumping into the middle of party politics. Oftentimes, when politicians do this, um it's seen as you know they're they're kind of trying to relive um, some of the some of the glory days that they might have had in the past. But I think that the Stephen Harper endorsement is different. For the reasons that you mentioned, he hasn't done one in a couple of years. But I also think because the Conservative Party is itself at a bit of an inflection point, and in this leadership race is bringing out a lot of those tensions, I think it's really interesting that he decided to jump in. And I don't think that him jumping in um, is for the reasons that I said p- politicians would typically jump in. I think he's he's trying to do it um, to help the party and the movement as a whole.
0: You know, when you take a look at it, of course, uh, Polyev was a minister in his cabinet. Uh, they have a relationship. Um, but I think if you were to look at the list of candidates and sort of contrast them with Stephen Harper, Polyev isn't Stephen Harper-ish. Um, Polyev uh, is, we know, fiery and dynamic and uh, very charismatic. Uh, Stephen Harper is not. He's he's a policy wonk. He's a steady hand, especially on the economy. Um do you really think he sees Pierre Polyev as being the the best choice, you know, in terms of some of the, the policy that Stephen Harper was pretty steady on? I think that what's
1: motivating Harper's endorsement isn't necessarily um, personal opinion, but what's best for the party. Right. Now, what I mean by that is because Pierre is such a frontrunner right now, he's going to win. Like, I would be very shocked if he doesn't win, and I'd be shocked if he doesn't win by pretty big margins. And that immediately brings us to the question of what's next in terms of the general election. Pierre and his team are smart people. They know that what works during a leadership race is not going to work during a general. And they know that they're going to have to pivot. I actually think that getting Harper's endorsement is in, in the spirit of that pivot, um, in the spirit of yes. keeping the movement together, in the spirit of... Um, of thinking about what the general public is gonna to need to see in order to vote for a CPC party led by Pierre Polyev, And so I think that, that if I were to guess, um, that is what motivated um, Harper to do this um, at
0: this time. I think that's a great point. Uh, I think, you're, you know, we've got Pierre Polyev, and we know he does extremely well with, let's call it, the farther right portion of the party. And I think Stephen Harper, in a lot of ways, not all of them, but in a lot of ways, would seen, be seen more as a centrist. Uh, not not in all ways, I understand. You're, you're going to be critici- criticizing me for that. But uh, in, in terms of bringing it a little closer to the middle, maybe he starts to bring those two factions together just with this sort of, this marriage.
1: I think so. And I think that this is, this is going to be part of um, and has always been part of Pierre's challenge because Pierre Polyev is actually two people in a lot of ways. He is this person that does very well in courting those groups that you've mentioned. He is very good at populist politics. He mm-hmm. is very good at grassroots politics. He is himself also a policy won. He is also himself very skilled in terms of um, the technical aspects of governing, and he himself is also, I think, more centrist. He's not shown us that right, during yes. the campaign because there's this difference between what you need to do to win politics in this country in 2022, and you know where your ideals and and your values can be in many ways, and and I think that. If, if Pierre is thinking that he wants to pivot on that, if he is thinking that um, what's best for the country is not to continue with some of the tactics that he that he's deployed, um, having somebody like Harper come in and um, be supportive of him begins to open up that conversation. Because at this point, there are a lot of people within the party who are, who are not really entirely okay with some of the things that Polyev has said, but are very... Um, but are very torn because do they want to stand their ground on that or do they want a shot at forming government um, in the next election, which could be honestly as early as this fall or next spring. We don't know. Um, And so I think that's the big tension that they're dealing with right now.
0: So, Melissa, is this a way of sort of signaling perhaps that the party, the, the big wigs, the party insiders, the people that are actually in charge of the party are thinking, okay, this is done, Polyev will be the leader, and now it's time to start thinking about post-Polyev and that this is where Harper fits in well?
1: Look, I don't think that anybody that's part of the official party apparatus, so the folks on LIOC, the folks that are working at Central, are venturing too far into that territory right now. It's really important for the integrity of the race that they're, they're not thinking yeah. that way, and and so I don't think that that's happening. But yeah, the, the the sort of influencers, the sort of powers that be, the organizers, the people who um, have a lot of skin in the game, yes, I, I do think so. And and I think that you know the other campaigns aren't going to obviously admit that, um, but I think they see the writing on the wall as well. And and the, the best they can hope for at this point is to just um, decrease the margin by which he wins. I mean. There is also, I mean, I say that, but there is also this um, possibility, and I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. That there's there's this assumption that Pierre is the front runner. The numbers support that. The polling supports that. But I also do talk to a lot of people who um, feel that they almost need to say that because that's the way the wind is blowing and and how things work in party politics, you don't necessarily want to be offside. So I am really interested to see what the actual numbers um, coming out are. And if it is as big of a windfall as we expected it to be.
0: Yeah, you don't want to alienate yourself. Can you hang on for a sec? We'll take a break and then we can talk about the UCP uh, debate tonight. Sounds great. Excellent. Okay. Uh, We're chatting with Melissa Cowett, who is um, a Western Canadian public policy professional and principal of MC Consulting. And we'll continue our conversation right after this. We're talking with Melissa Cowett, Western Canadian Public Policy Professional Principal of MC Consulting, a frequent commenter on all things Conservative for us. Um, Melissa, I want to pivot now to the UCP race. The first leadership debate taking place tonight, and the question I have is, so far, Danielle Smith has been extremely effective at dominating all of the coverage and all of the conversation in this campaign. Some people will say the things that she's brought up are going to be disastrous to her, but you know what? In a lot of minds, no press is. Uh, there's no such thing as bad press, and she's absolutely dominating all of the news cycle. Can that change with a leadership debate, or does she continue to just run roughshod over this whole thing? I don't think
1: so, and maybe that's a controversial take. Um, this is the first of the official debates, but we've seen candidates um, swear off in several other informal debates. It is really hard to um, to break through. Um, during a debate. Um, there's a lot going on. Debating is actually a really specific skill set, and not a lot of politicians um, are really, really good at it. Um, so in order for others to break through, they're going to have to either present some kind of, like, big revelation that just, like, shocks people, um, or they're going to have to, or Danielle's going to have to do a really bad job, because mm-hmm. at this point she has, she has dominated the news cycle, as you say. And her supporters are really evangelists in terms of um, what she says and what she what she does. It, she's not. It's very difficult. It would be very difficult, I think, for her at this point to say something that would turn off the people who are really strongly behind her at this juncture in the race.
0: Um, is it all? I guess the question is uh, we, we hear from some corners yeah okay you're hearing a lot about Danielle Smith and she's certainly attracting a lot of attention but when it comes down to who's picking up support Rebecca Schultz is doing well Travis Taves is doing better than you might think we're, we're told no 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 it doesn't it's not as much of a runaway as it may appear do you agree with that? So the numbers don't
1: at this point suggest that and what do I mean by that so Danielle has already submitted her entire 170 thousand or 175 thousand um, dollar non-refundable deposit and um, application fee there's no other campaign that has done that at this point. She signed up five times the number the number of members that she needed for her nomination form from all parts of Alberta, and the other campaigns have just not done that. That doesn't mean that they can't, but she does have that um, that those hard number support. I think what'll be interesting at this point, at the beginning of the race, people weren't necessarily saying that she was going to be a front runner because people have also. Long memories from what happened um, back when the PCs and the floor crossings and all of that, all of that wonderful um, stuff that was behind us in our rearview mirror. But now that the numbers are suggesting that she is such a front runner, I think that it will motivate people who may have otherwise been a little bit more passive in this race to start to say if they're really against the Danielle Smith um, UCP leader it might motivate them to actually get behind one of those other candidates, as you say. So maybe they get behind um, a Taves or a Smith, or sorry, a Taves or a Jean or a Schultz. Maybe they start to work harder there. But I mean, in terms of just sheer numbers that we have access to, I I don't see anybody that's that's close to
0: touching her at this point. It's kind of hard to believe that, uh, relatively speaking, we're kind of early in this whole process. I mean, this is a really, really long campaign. We still have, what, two almost three months ahead of us here. So so a lot can change, right?
1: A lot can change. Um, and you'll also see a shift in what the dynamics of the campaign are after that August 12th membership deadline. So by August 12th, the campaigns aren't able to sell um, any more memberships for those members to be eligible to vote in the race. So at this point, campaigns are really talking about a lot of things that they think are going to motivate people um, to pay the $10 for a membership and actually get involved in the race. After that date, it becomes a situation of looking at what exists in the membership and speaking to the people that are already in the fold. So I actually think that um, you might see a bit of moderation in terms of um, some of the ideas that are being um, brought forward. Cause there's just no added benefit to like, putting out super crazy ideas that would attract possibly new voters because you just can't do that anymore. So I do think that the tone will shift a bit uh, after that deadline.
0: It'll be interesting to watch and it's been interesting so far. Melissa, thank you so much for staying for a little extra time today. I really appreciate it.